Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Roaring Glory podcast. Again, I forgot to see what episode this is. I think we're season three, but really, seasons don't seem to matter anymore. No. This is The Bruised Read by the good doctor, Richard Sims. Let's go. First of all, how tall is your corn? <laughs> this is the time of year where I just blown away because every day it it has exploded. It's getting all those heat units. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. After all the rain, it rains one day and is hot the next. And I don't know. We've got some corn. Uh, I'd say probably probably two and a half, three feet tall. Starting to get a canopy over the whole. So, you know, you know kill those weeds. Dad used to say that everyone would say knee-high by the 4th of July, and that's way out the window now. Yeah, we're past that. Now it's like, you might tassel by the 4th of July? <laughs> Here we go, we're speaking. If you're knee-high on the 4th of July, your yield might make you die. Whoa. I came up with that right there. This is the new generation of farming. <laughs> this is what we deal with now. Hashtag millennial. Knee-high, what is that? I don't know. I don't, that's junk. That means you junk planted corn. way too late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Better call the crop insurance guy. Uh, public service announcement. We're not an ag podcast. No. you is. I'm sure there's plenty. Duh. Thousands? Yeah. yeah. Do you listen to any? No. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty boring. Uh, we might be boring too, but well, I can't. Yeah. I can't handle it. <laughs> Anyways, as Andy mentioned, uh, yeah, Richard Sibs and the Bruised Reed. This is our third yeah. installment of our look into the Puritan, the Puritan works of yonder year. Mm. And uh, we started with Pilgrim's Progress. We moved into the Mortification of Sin, and then the Bruised Reed. We're hitting the hitting the big ones first. Yeah, the ones that everybody says you should read. Yeah, so and we're reading. Just a disclaimer: Andy and I, um, on the bruised read, aren't that captivated. No, I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the hype. I mean the hype. I still think people should read it. Yeah, they'll come away with some. Pithy things, like he said, some quotations that are like, oh, that's good to remember it that way. The dude is very quotable. But, um, well, yeah, I think what Dever calls, calls Mark Dever calls Richard Sibbs, uh, what's he call him? Honey? Honey? He calls him honey? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't know. He says something, oh, he's bomb, or maybe that was Lloyd-Jones, bomb to the soul, a warm Balm to the soul. Okay, something. yeah, I've heard that. Something like that. So, I honestly think in this like this genre for a modern reader that uh, Gentle and Lowly is probably a better choice. Yeah. Easier to read. Yeah. More helpful for the modern person. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of this it's <clears throat> kind of the same idea. Uh-huh. It's just a little more up to date, Gentle and Lowly. Yeah, gentle and lowly is amazing, really. Um, 
because he's synthesizing what he's learned from the Puritans and Thomas Goodwin and mm-hmm. even in Sibs and other people. And he's kind of putting it in the thought pattern of the 21st century Christian. Yeah. yeah. So helpful. Sunday school class, I think, uh, really benefited from that when we did that at our church. I liked that one better. I read, <clears throat> and I think I just read them in a bad order. So I read The Glory of Christ by John Owen and then read Gentle and Lowly. And after coming off John Owen, it was like, man, this is just not very good. But then for Sunday school, I went back and read, read yeah. it, and it was like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, this is good. Yeah, the, the Puritans were just a, a different type of folk. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they weren't as distracted, so they spent a lot more time thinking and reading yeah. the Bible. And yeah. so it caused some really deep thoughts that mm. a lot of times we don't get to. That's, yeah, that's convicting. Yeah, I posted something on our kind of our church community page the other day. Did you see it Mm-mm. from Paul Washer? No, I was on it too. I don't, I didn't catch it. Yeah. Maybe it didn't load all the way. He said something about, like the the inability or the inactiveness of Christians to engage the scriptures is just basically lazy, which is a form mm. of yeah. evil and unbelief. It sounds like Paul Washer. Sounds like Paul Washer. <laughs> Not yeah. that he's lazy, that he would say. You know, I wonder if we could ever get him on the podcast. You have some connections. He's a Puritan reader. That I'd, would be pretty cool. I'd be scared to have him on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like tell us we're terrible people. No, <laughs> I think he's really a sweet person. I think he's really got a warm heart, but he just had you know a couple convictional <laughs> messages that that's what people remember. Yeah, well they're good. I yeah. he's got a gosh I'm straying here, but he's got a podcast on First Timothy. Oh, he does. And it's really good. And then he's got <laughs> meditations on. Meditations on Christ or something like that. Who doesn't have a podcast? I don't know. Even we have one. I was going to say me, but here we are. It's so funny that we're at the point in time in this where somebody came to me the other day and was like, hey, how do you guys do this? And how do you do this? And how, what do you need to do it? And how do you? Wow. So we're somebody in the been doing it for a little while. Yeah. A church. Oh, yeah, somebody from a church wanting the church to start it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, nice. so anyways. So uh, we got we got kind of sidetracked. That should tell you how much we really... Yeah. <laughs> 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 Both like Andy and I book. realized about halfway through the bruised read, like, all right, we get it. Yeah. I don't know. That's not to say don't read it. Yeah. But it, it wasn't as captivating as like, even the mortification of sin, you're just yeah. kind of drawn deeper and deeper, like, whoa, yeah. okay. Obviously, progress, progress, you have to read the whole thing because yes. Christian is is going to get to the celestial city somehow. And, and you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, different strokes for different folks, maybe it just wasn't the right time. Yeah. Well, that too, I've heard uh, Ian Murray, who is the uh, banner of truth, Co- yeah, co-founded it with uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. So I've heard him in a talk with MacArthur say the difference between good books is just different time. Because mm-hmm. for someone, a book might be really awesome at a particular time, and if yeah. another person read it at the same time, it just wouldn't click. So maybe that's what it is for us. Um, I thought we kind of got it, like you said, halfway through. There's a lot of good 
good quotes or good paragraphs later in the book, but I, I think kind of once you catch on to what he's saying, you kind of got all that he's going to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I think the first chapter or two really hit hard. Yeah. And then you realize, like, well, that's about as far as he's going to go before he starts kind of repeating it in different ways. Yeah. And it was, though. I mean, it, it was worth it. Um, I, the whole first or second chapter is about underlined in my copy. Mm. But let's talk a little bit about Mr. Sibs, yeah. shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Born in 1577, which probably would have been, I don't know when John Calvin died, but it was, I think, towards the end of the 1500s. Or Luther. I don't know. All these dates. What? <laughs> you know, what was funny about Sibs, every time I read the timeline of these Puritans, a lot of them who did go get a, a, an education and degree seem to have ended up with like a master's degree by the time they were 19. Yeah. But he seems more normal. Okay. He had a normal <laughs> timeline. So he got his master's at Cambridge uh, when he was like 25, that's that's about right. Okay, that makes me feel better. <laughs> in the in the 1600s, actually, he was converted under the preaching of William Perkins' successor, and William Perkins was often is often called the father of Puritanism. That's right. So, and I think that's important because it's not that these guys overlap and are connected in a coincidence or in a just a twist of fate that. This is what these churches bred mm. and these teachers bred, stuff like this. That's interesting. So, yeah, you know, why wouldn't we also produce? Yeah, especially with the last couple of weeks and the context we've been, uh, conversations we've been having here. That's interesting mm. that you bring that up. But Yeah, like breeds like. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, ordained as a deacon and priest in the Church of England, um, about, uh, about 30, 31. Uh, became a, uh, college preacher, uh, lecturer, um, was called to be the master of St. Catherine's College in Cambridge, became the vicar of the Holy Trinity in Cambridge, uh, at the invitation of the king. And then at about the age of 58, he dies of an illness of some sort. Hmm. Um, Sib's father wanted him to be a, uh, basically a tire guy. But <laughs> tires back then were wooden wheels. Wow. Yeah, that's what his father did and wanted him to be. Obviously, you would have plenty of work yeah. all the time. Yeah. Sib's never married. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he lived those 58 years without a wife, without a kids, a kids. I think it's interesting, side note, that our culture puts so much emphasis on ministers getting married. Yeah. yeah. I think most will need to or will want to, but we have to also celebrate the case when somebody's yes. given the gift of, yes. I don't feel like I need to marry. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, I knew of a case actually where, there was a guy, well-qualified, um, overly qualified. I don't know if you can be, you can't be overly qualified to pastor a church. But anyways, he was just that type of guy. You know, he was just a, a great, a great candidate. And because he was single and mm. did not even look to get married or anything, they wouldn't hire him. Wow. Just because of that. He, he, you know, 
And I, you know, I can understand. This church had also been through something that uh, was a sexual sin in nature from a pre- the previous pastor. So they didn't want any opportunity for their next one to fall into that because they were so hurt by it. But that makes sense. Anyways, rabbit trail. Uh, we're going to get on a few of those. I feel like. Hey, Thomas Goodwin. I'm sure we're going to read one of his works coming up. Yeah. Maybe next. I don't know. He helped Thomas Goodwin move away from Arminianism into the Reformed theology that we know today. That helps me understand this work so much better. Does it? Yes. I didn't know that that's kind of... Because as I was reading, I was kind of like, yeah but that probably needs to be explained a little bit more. Mm. And I think that's what Gentle and Lowly does. But that's interesting. That helps a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, he began writing his will the day before his death. Wow. I mean, if there's a good as time as any. Pick <laughs> <laughs> the right day. <laughs> and he wrote, I commend and bequeath my soul into the hands of my gracious Savior, who hath redeemed it with his most precious blood, and appeared now in heaven to receive it. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, when we talk about him moving Thomas Goodwin away from Arminianism, I think that's what Arminianism doesn't offer you. It doesn't offer you that peace yeah. that the Bible's trying to give you yeah. and is communicating that's trying to give you, especially yeah. John, uh, <laughs> where he's writing these words so that you'll know. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't give you that surety of like, okay, I'm going to die in a couple of days. That's fine. <laughs> I'm good with that. Somebody's going to take take me home. Yeah, and that makes sense uh, for his concentration on on Christ and the security found in Christ, the love, the power, and the patience of Christ. That coming out of that like kind of unsure realm where you know if I obtained my salvation in Christ, then surely I can lose it. So that helps a lot, actually. Dever refers to Sibs as a sweet expounder of God's grace and love in Christ. Mm. Sibs was, my book here says, he was known in his day as the sweet dropper. So kind of hand in hand. Each of these Puritans have something that they were enamored with or focused on in their life. And his seems to be the fact that grace and mercy came from God to sinners. Yeah. Which... It's pretty awesome. That's a good thing to be focused on. Yeah. yeah. And so hence this work that comes out of Isaiah 42, he's he's enamored with the fact that a bruised reed he will not break, that a sovereign, all-powerful God is not Mm. going to just squash these weak creatures. Yeah. So what do you got to start out with? What are we looking at? Well, one one more quote from one of our, our favorites here. Uh, Charles Haddon, oh. he says, Sibs never wastes the student's time. He scatters pearls and diamonds with both hands. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> you tell Charles he's wrong. No, I, th- I think to an extent, I agree with you, to an extent, there's there's occasionally like a, a pearl dropped or a diamond dropped. Like it's it's very quotable. They're like one-liners almost. Why don't we take that quote from Spurgeon and ourselves label Richard Sibbs the diamond dropper? The diamond dropper. (laughs) Hey, let's do it. Yeah. 
that's maybe what we'll talk. We about. need to. Oh my gosh, I've just come up with some <laughs> business idea here. <laughs> we need to give each of these guys a new nickname. And either make shirts or stickers. People like stickers nowadays. It's true. Sibs, Diamond Dropper. Diamond Dropper. A.K.A. Owen, the Reaper. (laughs) (laughs) Bunyan. I don't know. The Jailbird. Jailbird. Yeah. This is interesting. I'm serious. People love to play with these Reformed Puritan characters and... Have you seen the picture of Owen with, like, the the shades on? Yeah. That's hilarious. See? So, uh, contents. Contents. This is the, uh, gosh, what is the, holy smokes, <laughs> index? <laughs> nope. Table of contents. Yep. Goodness. There we go. So, and y- your chapters might read differently. I think we got, no, they should be the same. Because mm-hmm. we got the same publishing company. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Reed and the Bruising, Christ's yeah. Calling, How Christ Pursues His Calling, What is to be Bruised, The Good Effects of Bruising. And then, so these are the first two chapters, which Dakota and I both agree are probably the best two. And then chapter two is Christ Will Not Break the Bruised Reed, Christ's Dealings with the Bruised Reed for Ourselves, Who Are the Bruised Reeds? Yeah. Which, you know, this <laughs> this is the thing about this book. It's not, we're not just saying we only read the first two chapters, okay? <laughs> right. It's just, this is how he has set up his book. He basic, So he basically tells you what he wants to tell you in the first two chapters. Yeah. And then, like these guys do, they just always have more to say. Yeah. And that's kind of true with every book. There's going to be a best chapter or a best two chapters uh, and it'll be different for everybody. I think you'll get more out of uh, one chapter than another person might. He's He's got a couple chapters in here on, uh, he directs towards pastors and ministers. So, you know, it's just, again, like we said, based on the time that you read it and where you're at, um, where God has you at at that time in your life. So what did you catch from the first chapter that you thought was noteworthy? Well, First of all, that he would take those first three verses in Isaiah 42, um, and then as Matthew understands them in chapter 12, applying to Christ and his office and Mm. calling to us, uh, and then he begins to expound upon how Jesus pursues that calling. And he makes sure to mention, first of all, that Isaiah is not talking about trees. He's talking about reeds. Mm. So he has to position the fact that, that we are compared to weak things. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and Jesus, of course, is, is the God of the universe. And so there's a, a relationship here to weak things that is gentle and kind, merciful. Yeah. And that kind of sets the tone for the book. Yeah. Yeah, how often do we get called sheep and yet we consider ourselves able or sometimes even worthy of the calling of of salvation like that oh yeah well i probably deserve that you know somebody used a term this week that i was like oh wow i'm gonna remember that 
he said, we don't often think about what what type of condensation, is that the right? That's not right. Yeah, how he condescends. Con- condescends? Condescends. Yeah, how, how God condescends to work with us, meet us, all that sort of stuff. The, there's just a constant kind mm-hmm. of coming to us that is a, not a lowering of herself, but we are creatures that are lowly. Yeah. And then, and well, of course, and then his heart is described as gentle and lowly. Yeah. And uh, we don't often think of how he reaches down to do that. Yeah. I, there's a, a psalm, I think, that describes God as stooping to see the stars. Like he bends over to see yeah. the stars. And that should, I think that's intended to, to kind of display for us how far then God condescends to put on flesh. Uh-huh. Like the, the massive gap and, and even reading a little like philosophy, like platonic philosophy, this idea of, the, of God being in another realm, like being true reality and then putting on flesh. Like he's he's the realest real, and that I may be going too far off track, but like just the the gap that Christ spans when he puts on flesh, we we need to think more of. I think that would that would cause uh, the word becoming flesh to be more awesome to us. To think, whoa! Not only is grace amazing, but just just that God would put on flesh. Yeah. And condescend and and become lower than the angels for a time. Yeah, it's wild. And yeah, so this is where the Puritans are extremely helpful. And I don't think people from the outside understand how helpful they are in this. That they they understand the God that is bigger than we can comprehend. Yet they also understand the God who mm. condescends. And so they spend most of their time making sure that you know that. Yeah. And because when you when you position God right or or just acknowledge where he is and who he is in his holiness and majesty and eternal existence and all that sort of stuff, it's overwhelming mm-hmm. because of who we are. Mm-hmm. And so the Puritans do a good job of saying, okay, these two realities exist. God who is in so many ways not like us and we are so just ant-like compared to him but yet there's a relationship that exists on his um, initiative that you need to pay attention to when you're most um, disturbed by that disconnect or that gap yeah yeah that he cares I mean even to number the hairs of our on our heads like that he deals gently with <laughs> yeah that, that's that is probably the best part of this book I mean right there in the first chapter and so he focuses in on um, the the bruised part of Isaiah 42 what is bruised and being bruised is what he gets to is actually a good thing. We we have to understand where we are, mm-hmm. lest we fall into thinking that we're more than we are, mm-hmm. which 
which I guess would be the basis of all sin, really. To want to be the creator and yeah. make our own decisions and have our own... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's crazy how much you can see that in in culture. Um, ask the Lord for eyes to see that. How often sin is just wanting to be gods of our own lives rather than submit to the creator. Yeah. He says, Our hearts like criminals, until they be beaten from all evasions, never cry for the mercy of the judge. Mm. Bruising makes us set a high price upon Christ. Fig leaves of morality will do us no good. Oh, see? See, this is, this is what we're talking about with him. Yeah. He that, says stuff like that. Yeah, that's an awesome quote. Yeah. Uh, Fig leaves of morality will do us no good. Just referencing Genesis there, just so everybody's on yeah. the same page here. And if you're going <laughs> to present yourself before God dressed in your own righteousness. <laughs> that's not going to do much. No. Fig leaves, get out of here. <laughs> After conversion, we need bruising so that reeds may know themselves to be reeds and not oaks. Mm, that one, I have that one underlined. Yeah. Yeah, that one was, was really good. This is That's the big thing in conversion. You have to understand who God is and you have to understand who you are. Sidetrack, when you underline stuff in your book, it looks like a straight line. Do you use a ruler? No, none of those are. Sometimes I do. Crazy. Sometimes, but none of those are. Sometimes when I underline stuff, it just goes through the middle of the word. <laughs> and it looks like I'm crossing it out. <laughs> well, you know what what part you want to read. Mm. <laughs> I'm a really good singer, actually. We won't talk about that here. Uh, so, yeah, this is, how, this is how we are to understand the bruised read. We, we are those. Bruised by any, then he goes into later, we'll talk about that. How you're bruised. Why you're bruised, stuff like that. I have underlined here uh, this idea, and I wish I would have underlined more so I could get it in context. Uh, so I'll just read it and hope that the context comes back to me. This is such an one as our Savior Christ terms poor in spirit. This is a little before the uh, fig leaves of morality quote. Uh, Who sees his wants and also sees himself indebted to divine justice. He has no means of supply from himself or the creature and thereupon mourns. And upon some hope of mercy and from the promise and examples of those that have obtained mercy is stirred up to hunger and thirst after it. So that was what I was thinking, that the church and community is, is important for us um, because this person who's stirred up to hunger and thirst after mercy is, is looking at those who have received mercy so those others in the church or those saints who've come before the the great cloud of witnesses um finding a hope of mercy saying he's given it to them surely he will continue with me if i throw myself upon his grace at his feet so i i, I thought that was really cool and and kind of you know we in our culture anyway, we forget the importance of community and church and, and being in a body of believers. But I think there's a good example of why we can look around and see God giving mercy yeah. to others. And and you know, Sib seems to say that that should stir us up to thirst after that. Yeah, well, yeah, you realize you're not alone or you're not unique in the fact that you are 
thinking you're outside of God's mercy because you've been so bad or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, welcome a, to a church that's full of people who have done God knows what. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah, yeah. And they've received mercy. Why not you? Yeah. So right along there with, with while knowing or learning you're not an oak but a reed, also seeing mercy being given to others. Um, so that's why, like, that's why he gets his name the good doctor or the sweet dropper. Yeah. He, along with these hard truths. That's, and you just said exactly what he's, what he goes on right to tell us right after that is that we live by mercy. Mm. You don't live by your righteousness or your acceptableness before God, but you live by un, under the mercy of God. Yeah, always. Always. Even, we talked about this last Thursday, uh, even after we've been, regenerated we don't we don't ad- adhere to the law or obey the commands we see in the new testament on our own strength we're relying on mercy and his strength through his spirit to to do the good works that he's set out for us to do so it yeah it's always by mercy it's never on our own strength even even after you've been saved you still can't do it on your own if you're trying to then like we said, you're making the New Testament a new law. And oh, yeah. It's never going to work. I would say that if you are truly born again, you wake up in peace every morning with God, namely because you know that his mercy is unending to you. Yeah. In other words, you're not, you're not waking up every morning worried like, oh, man, if I, don't, if I don't do right today and I die, I'm going to hell. But no, you wake up and you're like, God is merciful to me. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. And that's what Sibs is is showing us here. Mm-hmm. He will live by mercy as a bruised reed. So chapter two, Christ will not break the bruised reed. Mm. That's good to know. <laughs> in fact, in Isaiah, he says he's going to bind up the brokenhearted. I underlined this, got to read it. The lion of the tribe of Judah will only tear in pieces those that will not have him rule over them. That's from Luke 19, 14. He will not show his strength against those who prostrate themselves before him. In other words, his strength and wrath and justice and righteousness and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. He, yeah, he will not cast out any who come before him. I love that. I underlined that too. But we, we have to think of him <clears throat> as the lion and the lamb. Mm. Just like we see in Revelation and and people go, well, is he the lion or is he the lamb? Yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I love, I love that he points that out. He's a lion to those who refuse him yeah. and rebel against him. And he's gentle with those who he calls to himself and, and gives mercy to. That's what's amazing about the human condition is that you can... You can know, at least intellectually, that there's somebody who reigns as a lion but is offering himself up to you as a lamb if you would only um, if you would only believe or understand or or want that, but the human heart is so dead and enslaved to sin that it can look upon that and say, nah, yeah. 
<laughs> or more than that, probably use expletives, expletives, yeah, and curse God and say, you know what? Why did yeah. you make me like this? Yeah, but it's your fault. Yeah, <laughs> that is uh, wild. Wickedness. So here's actually uh, the very next paragraph after this quote. What should we learn yeah. then from this but to come boldly to the throne of grace? That's from Hebrews 4. Yeah. In all our grievances, shall our sins discourage us when he appears there only for sinners? Are you bruised? Be of good comfort. He calls you. Conceal not your wounds. Open all before him and take not Satan's counsel. And then I, I underline this because I think this is important for us today. Go to Christ, although trembling, as the poor woman who said, if I may, be, if I may but touch his garment. So confidently, yet humbly. Mm-hmm. I, our culture, man, <laughs> we, just, we just strut in there like we own the place and don't consider, like we were talking about earlier, the, the infinite gap between a holy God and us. We should be in awe. We should be confident. We should love that he gives mercy and we should confidently go to him seeking for that mercy, but we should also remember who he is. He's a king. I love C.S. Lewis. I was just thinking the lion of mm-hmm. Judah. He's he's not a tame lion. Like, yeah. you don't just go strutting in there like you can tell him what you want, even though you can't. <laughs> yeah, well, I... He- Maybe we can go back to the Pilgrim's Progress and how how Christian finally approaches the the wicket mm. with a T, not a D, the wicket gate, and he approaches it as someone acknowledging is undeserving. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but he knows that that's where he's supposed to go, and it'll be open to him. Yeah, the gatekeeper. What's his name? Goodwill. Goodwill. Yeah. yeah, he'll open it. He'll open it, <laughs> and he tells him, "You know, I don't." I'm not worthy of you to open it. Yeah. But please open it. And he knows. Yeah. That's it. That is. That. And then Goodwill drags him in. Yeah. Get in here. Yep. I love it. So basically, a bruised reed is someone who's brought to see their sin, which bruises most of all, he says. Yeah. That's what a bruised reed is. Somebody broken by their sin or mm. affected so much by their sin. Yeah, we we should be more affected by our own sin than others, mm-hmm. shouldn't we? That's int- I didn't see that before. And that's the mortification of sin by John Owen. What well, you have to you have to see your sin rightly in order for you to have the desire or to know why it needs to die. Yeah. Yeah. And and you do that under the awesome thankfulness of the mercy that that's the un un brokenness of the reed because God decided not to break it. Mm. But to leave it bruised and still standing. Yeah. Bruised for a time. Mm -hmm. Underneath that, to go on with that, that's the, he asks who are the bruised reeds and that's the first answer and then he gives, he gives several more but I only want to read two, three, and four. So this is a description of the bruised reed. Uh, a man who truly is bruised judges sin the greatest evil and the favor of God the greatest good. 
He would rather hear of mercy than of a kingdom. And he has poor opinions of himself and thinks that he is not worth the earth he treads on. Yeah. I had a guy tell me one time we shouldn't sing many songs of lamentation or like sorry for our sins because it, uh, he had struggled with that and his son had struggled with that and it, it caused them to have a, a poor view of God. And I thought, that's not, you should have a poor view of yourself yeah. and a great view of God. That's why we sing those. Uh-huh. So like, if you have a poor view of God because you sing of how sinful you are, then you've got a yeah. misunderstanding of, that's almost like blaming God for it. Exactly. How would you have a poor view of God? Yeah. Huh. So the, the focus was just completely wrong. But but I love the Puritans always bring up, you should understand your, you have a poor opinion of yourself because you know your sin better than anybody else does. But you should be confident in the mercy. Like they also say, don't judge your sin as greater than God's mercy. Yeah. Consider God's mercy greater they're really good at telling us how bad we are, but they're even better about telling us how great God is. That That's quotable. Yeah. That's a tweet. If I had Twitter, I'd tweet <laughs> Well, you know, maybe we should get back on in the days ahead when it's becomes more of a viable platform. I don't know. <laughs> we don't get kicked off. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah. That's good. I love that. <laughs> There's a Christmas sweater out there by... Uh, who makes it? Is Mission it Mission Aware? Aware? Or Reformed? <laughs> Mission Aware, I think. MissionAware.com or whatever. And it's a picture of John Calvin, and it's a Christmas sweater, and it says, you're all on the naughty list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a brilliant. Yeah. I, I, man, that's a, I'm going to remember that quote, because that's like the reason we read the Puritans. Yeah. A, a reminder of who we are and a reminder of who God is. But they also, as he goes on to do in chapter three, they also tell us who we are now in Christ. Yeah. And he says, we call a little plant a tree because it is growing up to be so. Mm. Like when I would think of when you're mowing or something and, you know, someone has planted a tree. Well, it's, it doesn't look like anything. But you still call it a tree. Don't mow over that tree. Yeah. Watch out for that tree, yeah. you know, that you don't hurt it. And what a beautiful picture. It's it's still, you know, it's, it's Romans 8, what, 29 through 32. Um, we're we're already and not yet glorified. If that makes any sense, yeah, it's sure, it's guaranteed, it's going to happen, but we're not glorified yet. Yeah, yeah, but but we need to remember, like it's that sure. So there's there's peace that we live with, and the happy. He says the happiest men are those that are. Uh, what's he say? Uh, oh yeah, he he. Those who walk in the comforts of God's spirit are the happiest men of all. In other words, is God's spirit's testifying that His mercy's been bestowed upon us. Mm. We're happy then. Yeah. Um, joyful. Yeah, we can rest in that mm-hmm. if we believe a doctrine that we hold to of election. Mm-hmm. I sent you this. I sent you a picture of this quote. Uh, at the end of chapter 3. The reason for this mixture is that we carry about us a double principle, grace and nature. The end of it is especially to preserve us from those two dangerous rocks which our natures are prone to dash upon, 
security, and pride, and to force us to pitch our rest on justification, not sanctification. Yeah. That goes exactly what you're talking about already and not yet. Like we're we're throwing ourselves on uh, God's mercy and assurance of of that Romans eight. Would you say twenty nine? Twenty nine through thirty two or something. something. Yeah, I we're we're already and yet we're being sanctified. So we're not. What what Sibs is saying there is, we're not at peace or resting because we're becoming more like Christ. We're at peace and resting because by Christ's mercy, God has justified us. By Christ's sacrifice, God has justified us. Yeah. Yeah. Where was that? Did you find that? 29 through 30, Romans 8. Um, maybe we ought to wrap up. Yeah. That That is the gist of the book. Now, one thing that he does go on to do throughout the rest of the book is he will ask questions um, that you might have in your mind when you're thinking about these things. Mm. And one of them was like, why does the enemy seem victorious? He asked that question, he writes it, and then he answers it. <clears throat> and so he goes on to explain like, okay, I get, I'm a sinner. I get that God's merciful. But these things are still in place that make me, and he and he goes on to try and answer that. But he basically answers that by explaining that that doesn't mean that God's mercy doesn't exist. That doesn't mean that you're not a child of his. And that doesn't mean that there's eternal punishment and wrath for the things that seem to be um, prevailing yeah. in the world. Yeah. But the reality still remains that you are, again, Romans 8, more than a conqueror or a tree, even though you're a little plant, because he's the one in charge of the bruising uh, making that known. He's the one that's in charge of keeping. So yeah. he can he can take care of that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I recommend you read it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a recommendation? I don't know. I, I don't know how to go about it. I would say don't uh don't feel the the weight of getting through the whole thing if you're in captive if you're in captivated by it then read it yeah uh but the first you know three or four chapters for sure uh and then also pick up gentle and lowly that'll help too it points out that these these works aren't the bible yes they're a, a person's musings and meditations on the bible yes so take it for what it's worth yeah that's why we can yeah. be kind of lackluster with things like this yeah. we don't have to promote them like we do God's word because God's word is infallible and these are men and they are fallible. So, but they're helpful in a lot of ways. Yeah. Have a conversation with uh, old Sib. See what he has to say. And then yeah. you might just get tired of him talking. <laughs> Tell him to be quiet for a minute <laughs> by closing the book. It is pretty easy to get these old friends to stop talking. Yeah. Pick it up again when you need a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm good, I'm good with that. I agree. I think that's that's solid. All right. Well, we will uh, come at you again with a uh, to-be-decided next work. I think I'm really excited about what the potential next book could be. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know if you guys are excited to hear it, but... I'm excited to hear it because I probably ought to read it. That would be ideal. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. The next time we come to you, uh, we'll have some tassels on some corn. Probably so. All right. That'll be good. Yep. 
Okay. Well, until then, I don't know how we, what are you, should you do to them? I was going to whisper, but then I thought that was creepy like our president. So I'll just say <laughs> I love you. 